0: We started a series through Galatians last week and uh, we go through books of the Bible. On Wednesday nights, we go through the Old Testament. We're currently in the book of Numbers and on Sunday mornings, we go through the New Testament and we're now in the book of Galatians um, and we started Galatians last week and we did kind of an intro and we looked at the first five verses of Galatians. So we're going to pick it up in verse six uh, this morning. And the purpose of Galatians is very simple. Paul is writing to this area. Galatia was was not a particular church. It was it was more of an of a region would be um, like Central Oregon. And there were several churches that Paul was writing to. And he's writing to them with the express purpose of getting them back on track. In terms of their understanding of the gospel, they had accepted what Paul taught them as he planted these churches with with great excitement. They, they had never heard these things before. You remember we talked about last week that the Galatian people were Gentile people. They had settled in this area of modern day Turkey uh, from the Celtic uh, region. Uh, Ireland and England and France and Scotland and those kinds of places. That's where these Galatian people were from. They were Gentile people. They were pagan people. Uh, they had never been taught um, about the Lord and about this, this gospel message that Paul brought them. And they, they accepted it with great excitement. But then behind Paul, after Paul left... He planted these churches and then moved on. Behind him came these false teachers. They're known as Judaizers. They were kind of a hybrid Christian. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the gospel message. They believed that Jesus came to die for our sins. But they also added works alongside of that. And they added all the feasts of the Jews and that you had to keep these dietary laws. And so it was kind of a mixture of God's grace through the cross and your works, which Paul would tell the Romans in chapter 11, verse 6 of Romans, that is impossible. You cannot be saved by your works and by grace. It's either one or the other. And we know that we can never approach God by our works. The Bible says our works are like Filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord. And so it's all of grace that we approach God. It's because of what He did, not because of what we can do. And this is kind of a foreign concept to us as humans because we understand the concept of, you know, cause and effect. I do something and then I get something, I work and then I get a paycheck. I'm nice to you, you're nice to me. If I'm not nice to you, then you're probably not going to be nice to me. If I don't work, then I don't get paid. We understand that and, and we were almost raised with that. If you work hard, you'll be rewarded and and that applies in sports and in our occupation and, and even in our relationships and in marriage. but with the Lord, it doesn't apply. Because we cannot approach God by our good works. We have to approach God by what He did for us. And then the good works, the Bible says, that are prepared beforehand, we simply walk in them. They become a byproduct of who we are in Christ. But these false teachers, they wanted to make that the cause. They wanted to make that what you needed to do to be saved is these works. And there are groups and organizations and religions today that say the same thing. You, you've you got to do this and this and this and then God will accept you. Then God will love you. And it's a works based relationship. And even in the church, we can fall into that. We can fall into that mindset of trying to please God in our own efforts. We have this mindset almost that that Our relationship with God is a lot like a track meet, a lot like a relay race where God handed the baton on on to us. He ran the first leg and now he's handing it on to us and we're supposed to run the next leg. And conceptually, that makes sense to us. But biblically, it's absolutely false. And so Paul sits down with haste to write this letter. In fact, he tells us at the end of the letter, see with what big letters I'm using as I'm writing this. It's because my eyesight is horrible and I normally use a secretary, but I wanted to write this letter with such urgency that I didn't even call someone to transcribe it for me. I went ahead and wrote it myself. And he sent this off to them to bring them back to the simplicity of the gospel message. (laughs) So as we make our way through the text this morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Paul's concern for the Galatians. We're going to see God's curse upon those who change the gospel. And then we're going to see Paul's call to ministry. So let's read our text and then we'll go back and we'll look at those points. Starting in verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you, in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, than what we have preached, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what we have received. Let him be accursed. For Do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and trying to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So in verses six and seven, we see Paul's concern for the Galatians. He says, "I marvel, I'm I'm blown away, I'm amazed, I'm shocked by the fact that you're turning away from the simplicity of the gospel so soon. It wasn't like you know this was twenty years later. This was a short amount of time, and Paul hears." the news that they've already turned away. That these false teachers had come in behind Paul and had perverted, had distorted the simplicity of the gospel. And Paul is just absolutely blown away by that. And he says to a different gospel. It's a different gospel altogether. But he says, which is not another so it's a different gospel, but in fact it's not another. And I think this has a twofold sort of interpretation. One is that there really is no other gospel. There's no other gospel. There's only one. You can't have another good news. The Bible makes it very clear to us that Jesus... And His death is good news for us. And that the cross is the only way to salvation. And the other interpretation of this, the other application that comes out of this, is that you really cannot change the gospel at all. You can't take the gospel and change it. You can't pervert it. It, Otherwise, it becomes something else. It becomes something that is not true, is not right. And so he says there are some who trouble you and want to pervert or distort the gospel of Christ. And so this was Paul's concern for them. His concern was that they were being led astray. Paul had a pastor's heart for these people, and he was concerned that they were being led into legalism. They were being led down a road that would lead to spiritual destruction. And how often I see this happen in our own lives, where, like Paul says in chapter three of Galatians, we start in the spirit, but then we try to become perfected. We try to mature in our own flesh and how tragic that is. And I don't know what kind of a relationship that you have with God Maybe you don't have any relationship at all. And I would say this, first of all, that God wants to have a relationship with you. That God wants, longs, I would say, to have a relationship with you. In fact, the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God longs to have a relationship with us. And He did everything He could to make that possible. To extend, to open His hands to you. To make it possible for you to come to Him. And so maybe you need to just simply do that. Maybe you need to give your life to Him and, and to ask Him into your life to make Him the Lord of your life, to ask Him to cleanse you and forgive you of your sins and to wash your guilt away. Maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe you've been walking with the Lord. Maybe you know the Lord, but it's sort of morphed. It's sort of turned into this works based relationship with God, where you're focused on what you can do for God rather than what he did for you. And if that's where you're at this morning, Paul would say the same thing to you. Paul would be concerned for you that you've allowed yourself to buy into that type of thinking. And it's very dangerous. When you begin to hear people talk about what you can't do and what you can do and 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 what you should be doing and and how God wants to relate to you based on those things. And it almost becomes more about what you're doing than what what God did. It's about what day of the week you worship on. And that becomes the focus or what you eat or what you drink what kind of music you listen to, what kind of movies you might watch. Now, you can take that to the extreme and just say, well, you know, if in that case, I can do whatever I want. The Bible says that we've been given liberty. The Bible says that we've been given all things richly to enjoy. We've been given everything. The Bible says that all things are lawful. In other words, as Christians, we can do all things, but not all things are profitable, the Bible says. And so we have to then use judgment and we have to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And he says, you know, I don't really think you should be listening to that music. I don't think you should watch those types of movies or, you know, I don't really think you need to drink anymore. It's just really not something you should be doing. But it's not because I told you to or because someone else told you to or because you read it in a book that's out. No, it's because God's voice spoke to your heart. And he said, you know, you don't need to do that. You shouldn't be doing that. Now, there's some things that are black and white, and we're not talking about those things talking about some of those gray areas that that people want to make into the main thing and almost make that the determination of whether you're saved or not ooh you you know you did that you do that you went there and and, and like that is a determination of whether you're accepted by God and it's absolutely unbiblical it's dangerous and it's destructive We need to be sensitive to God's voice. Don't be sensitive to Ryan's voice. Don't be sensitive to somebody else's voice. Hear from God. Hear Him in His Word speaking to you. And so Paul had a concern for these Galatian believers. We also see God's curse upon those that change the gospel, verses 8 through 10. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach to you another gospel, let him be accursed. He says it twice for emphasis. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't care who brings this message. If it was me, or if it's an angel from heaven sitting at the foot of your bed, don't believe it. The Bible says that even the devil can present himself as an angel of light. We have to, you guys, funnel and filter everything through God's Word. There has to be a standard, right? There has to be a standard. Just like in athletics, there's boundaries. You can't just do whatever you want. You know, if that was the case, I might be able to play, you know, in the NFL. If I could just run out the stadium, you know, and sneak back around and get in the end zone, you know, hey, I might be able to get away with that. But you've got to stay in the boundaries. If you go out of bounds, you can't progress any further. In baseball, you can't just decide, you know, I think I'm going to run up the third baseline this time. That'll fool them, you know. You can't do that. There's boundaries. There's rules. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. In God's message to us. He said this is, is truth. Anything outside of that is not. Now, we've wanted to rewrite that. We've wanted to say, well, you know, that was old and it's outdated and that's, you know, something that is not relevant today. Well, then who becomes the determiner of what is relevant? We do. Some man does. God said this is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we live in a culture and a society that really box against absolute truth. When it comes to God anyway. There's no absolute truth. All roads lead to heaven. All, All roads lead to the same place. Everybody's going to be saved. Everybody's going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe. And you know what? I wish all those things were true. I mean, from a human standpoint, from a fleshly standpoint, I wish that were true. But it just simply isn't. Jesus said, unless you come through me, there is no eternal life. And so there is a standard that we have to go by. And Paul was laying that out for them. He says, I don't care who preaches to you, if it's outside of that parameter, it's outside the boundaries of what God has set up, then it's disqualified. It's illegal. It's a foul ball. It doesn't count. And so these Judaizers were bringing a false message. And Paul says, look, anybody that brings a false message to you, let him be accursed. That's a very strong word. In the Greek, it's the word anathema. It's, A cursing to the lowest hell. And I don't even know all the ramifications of that. I just know it isn't good. It's not something you want. Paul's saying, look, the severest judgment of God will be upon that person who distorts the truth of the Gospel, who perverts the simplicity of the message, who leads people astray. You remember Jesus said, it would be better if you were never born if you lead one of my little ones astray. He said it would have been better if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were thrown into the ocean. Millstones were those huge, concrete-like rock formations that they would use to grind the flour. Huge. tied that around your neck, fall over the side of the boat, it would be better if that happened to you than if you lead one of my children astray by changing the message. And so all these groups out there who have felt the liberty and the need to take the gospel and kind of add a little of this and a little of that, you know, like they tasted it and mm, it needs a little salt, you know, let's do that. And, oh, I think it needs some of this and, you know, added their own flavors to it. And now they've got this concoction that they think is amazing And God says, let him be accursed. It has to line up with the Word of God. And that's what's so awesome, that we have the Word. That we have a standard. It would be really difficult if we didn't have that. And then God would say, well, you've got to stay in these boundaries. No, He's given that to us. And we can just look to it. It's like an owner's manual on your car. It tells you everything. The owner's manual of my truck even tells me how to drive it. You know, put it into the D and then push down on the accelerator, you know, in America. Drive on the right hand side of the road. It's like if you've got to explain that, there's a problem, you know, (laughs) probably shouldn't have been buying this vehicle in the first place. But you know what I mean. The owner's manual lays it out for us. And God has done that for us. And we can filter everything through His Word. And if it doesn't line up, then we reject it. And then in verses 11 through 24, Paul talks about his call to ministry. Paul had a very unusual call to ministry. Paul had a very unusual call to the Lord, to salvation. You remember that he was making his way up to Damascus, which was the capital of Syria. He was going there to do what? To persecute, imprison, and kill Christians. You know, it was a little vacation. Thought he would just go up there and, you know, ruin people's lives. That, that was that's what he was all about. That was Paul. He thought he was doing it in service to God. He had no idea that he was actually opposed to God. And as he was making his way, he was arrested by the presence of Jesus. He saw Jesus. And Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment on, Paul no longer persecuted the church. Paul no longer believed that it was about what he could do for God. He began to pursue Jesus with all of his life. He began to board ships and walk hundreds of miles to tell people about the gospel message, about Jesus, because of what he had done in his life. And Paul spent about three years in the Arabian desert being prepared by God, as you see there in verse 17. Verse 18. And then after that, Paul was sort of thrust out into ministry. After that preparation. After that time in the desert where God literally was having to retrain Paul. Because unlike... Me, at least, I'm not sure about you, but up until the time that I got saved, I had no understanding of the Bible. I didn't know who Jesus was. I thought it was all a fairy tale. The Bible was, you know, a book we had on the shelf. And when I asked my mom when I was 10 years old, what religion are we? Because we were studying religion in school. She said we're Christians because we're Americans. Okay, sounds good to me. But, you know, and that's what I believed. But then when Jesus revealed himself to me, just like he did to Paul, as it says there in verse 15, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. See, God had his hand on Paul his whole life. God had sovereignly elected Paul. Chose Him. Now, does that mean that we don't have a free will? Absolutely not. The Bible teaches we have a free will. God sovereignly chooses us, but then we have a free will in which God asks us to choose Him. Well, how does that work? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, if you don't have any idea, then how am I supposed to have any idea? Well, we're not, I don't think. That's the thing. God doesn't ask us to understand every aspect in any window of him. If we were to be able to do that, he would no longer be God. See, we can figure people out pretty easily. You know, people say that I'm a pretty good judge of character or I can read people pretty well or, you know, I I just kind of have a sense about people, you know, most of us do. You, kind of, you can understand people. We know why people make decisions. Sometimes we even see things on the news and somebody does some crazy thing and we understand that. We think, yeah, I could see why that dad would pull out a gun and shoot his son's molester in the courtroom. I, I could probably see myself doing that. It's wrong. It's illegal. He's probably going to go to jail. But we can understand the thought process. See, we can understand why people do what they do. But we don't understand God. We read the Word. We see what God does. We look at our lives. We see how God is doing things in our life. And we think, I don't understand this. And that's why Isaiah says... His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are beyond our ways. And where does that bring us? It brings us to worship. See, if we could understand, then He would just be like a buddy. He would just be like somebody we hang out with. And although God wants to have a relationship with us, and God wants to be close to us, He is, you guys... Beyond us. We will never completely understand Him. We will never figure Him out. And that's why it's so amazing to me when people say, well, we've got to be able to figure it out. So it's either that God is completely sovereign to the dismissal of our free will, or it's our free will to the exclusion of God's sovereignty. And both of those extremes are wrong. And they exist. And they have fancy names that I don't really care to say what they are, but they have fancy names and some people believe in this camp and other people believe in that camp. And we get called simpletons for just teaching what the Bible says. When the Bible teaches God's sovereignty, you teach it. When the Bible teaches man's free will, you teach it. Well, that's kind of Duplicitous. I mean, that's just not very theologically intelligent. Hey, call it what it is, but the Bible teaches both. And so clearly we see that that Paul had been called by God from his mother's womb, prepared for this very ministry that he would be called into. In fact, three years of preparation after his whole life. See, unlike me, like I said, I I grew up with no Bible understanding. Paul grew up with lots of Bible understanding. Paul grew up from the very moment he could read, reading the law, reading the prophets, reading the Psalms and the books of poetry. Paul knew the Bible. Paul knew history. Paul knew theology. He was schooled under the best teachers. And he was leaning on that. He was dependent upon all of that until Jesus revealed Himself to him. And then all of that learning had to be like flipped on its head. And Paul had to rethink everything he knew about God. Because everything that he knew about God was how, by his efforts, by his experience, by his pedigree, by his good works, he could get to God. And God would accept him because he was a good guy. Because he worked really hard. And here's the thing, you guys. God wants to have a relationship with you. God longs to be close to you, but it won't be about what you can do for Him. It's about what He did for you. And I think there's really a couple types of people. There's people that don't know the Lord at all, and maybe you're one of them this morning. You've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. There's people that have made that commitment, but it's kind of, you know, wishy-washy. And it's it's been, you know, off and on. Yeah, I, I accepted Jesus a while back. And, you know, one time at a, a retreat or a camp, I, I asked Jesus into my life. But, you know, I haven't really been walking with him. And then there's the people that are absolutely on fire in love with Jesus. And we're only in one of those three places. And I would hope that every one of you would desire to be in that third camp. To have that living, dynamic relationship with Jesus. If you don't know Him, I would pray that this morning, before you leave, you would ask Him into your life. That you would say, Jesus, I want to make You the Lord of my life. I'm a sinner. I believe that I've done things that have displeased you. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I believe that. And you say, and I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins and that you took my place. And that you'll wash my guilt away. And you ask Him into your life. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Or maybe you're in the second camp and you know the Lord, but you haven't been walking with Him. You're not excited about him and there's nothing fresh and there's nothing alive and it's boring and it's trite. And you've been trying and it's been about your works and you've been trying to approach God in your own good goodness and you're just sort of getting frustrated with the whole thing. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. And I want to share something with you. That you don't have to be in that place. That God wants to relate to you. That God wants to be real to you. See, if God isn't real to us, you guys, if God's not doing something fresh in us, if we aren't experiencing the life of Jesus in our lives, if we're not seeing the living Word, if we're not, as John describes in 1 John, touching Him and handling Him and beholding Him, then this is all just a big sham. He wants that for you. He says that He's knocking on the door of our hearts and He longs for us to open up the door of our heart and invite Him in. But you see, you guys, He will not be a part of your life unless you ask Him to be he will not be a part of your marriage unless you invite him to be. Do you notice that when Jesus was ministering on this earth that where he wasn't invited, where he wasn't welcomed, he didn't go. In fact, there was a time where he just said, "You know what? I'm not going to the temple anymore. This house is desolate." He said. He didn't go places he wasn't invited. He wasn't welcomed. And it's so true in our own life, you guys. Jesus longs to be with us, but He won't be a part of those things we don't want Him to be a part of. And so if you don't want Him to be a part of your marriage, if you want to do that on your own, then He'll let you do that on your own. If you don't want Him to be a part of your career, then He won't be. If you don't want Him to be a part of your relationships with your kids, then He won't be. If you don't want him to be a part of your hobbies, then he won't be. But whatever you want to invite him to be a part of, he'll meet you there. And he'll revolutionize, he'll transform that area of your life. Well, I I don't really know how to do that. I, I don't really know how to relate to God. I mean... He's just sort of out there, and I mean, he's, he's kind of like an imaginary friend for adults, is, is how I've perceived him. The Bible, it just isn't making sense to me. The things that I hear aren't resonating with me. I, I want to encourage you guys, if you know the Lord that you would make a commitment to being in the Word of God on a daily basis. And I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you that if you will commit to reading the Word and having the Word come into your heart, that it will transform your life. And I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. And it's like any... Thing else I've ever done in terms of devotionally reading the Bible. I'm going through the New Testament. I started in Matthew. I read one chapter a day and I journal. So get a piece of paper, get a notebook, write Matthew chapter one at the top. Read it. Ask God to bring application into your own life. And when I'm doing it, you guys. I'm not looking for what I'm going to say to you. I'm not looking for messages. I'm not looking for sermon material. I'm not looking for how it applies to somebody else. I'm looking for how it applies to me. Lord, forgive me for that. God, make me more like this person who just pursued you. Jesus, make this real in my life. And it's been amazing how God's Word has been coming alive to me. And I would encourage you to do something similar to that. And a lot of times, you know, especially guys, you think, I'm not going to journal. I mean, that's kind of for girls. And the thing is, is that it really allows you to encapsulate your thoughts, to write prayers, to write applications. But whatever it is, get into the Word and let the Word get into you. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them. And they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Those disciples on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus broke bread with them, to me a picture of opening God's Word, breaking the bread of God's Word, it was there that Jesus was revealed to them. You'll be amazed at how Jesus will reveal Himself to you. The psalmist said that God wants to write a new song on your heart. A new song. Daily. Fresh. Alive. Living. That's the kind of relationship He wants to have with us. You remember the manna in the wilderness? They were only to gather enough for that day. It was fresh. God wants to have a fresh relationship with you. Not stale. Not talking about what God did in your life 10 or 15 years ago. What's God doing in your life today? And if you can't say, yeah, this is what God's doing. This is what He's showing me. This is how He's revealing Himself to me. If there's no freshness... He's inviting you. He's inviting Himself. He's knocking on the door of your heart saying, I long to have that kind of relationship with you. Will you let me? Do you want it? It really does come down to that. Do you want it? If we want it, it's there. We can have it. It's our choice. We can choose to have this kind of regimented, Knowing God on a really distant basis. Relating to God by some kind of a list. Relating to God by what you can do for Him. Or you can have a fresh, vibrant, living relationship with Him. That will be the most amazing thing that you'll ever be a part of. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. But I would encourage you that if anything that I've said is true of your life, if maybe you're you're in that first camp and you don't know the Lord and you want to ask Him into your life, that you would come up and, and receive prayer after the service today and ask Him to come into your life. We'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you're in that second camp and, man, it's just like going through the motions. It's just old, it's tired, it's stale, and you want it to be alive. I would ask you and invite you to come and and to have one of us pray for you that God would just move in your life. Maybe you're not in the Word like you want to be. And and you've just been feeling guilty about it. You know you need to be, but you just haven't been feeling it. It's just not there. It's just not alive to you. Maybe you need to pray and just ask God to make His Word be living active. It's a double-edged sword. And so I would invite you to come and to pray. The worship team is going to come up and they're going to uh, lead us in a closing song. And then uh, some of us will be available up here in the front to pray with you. And if you need prayer, please take advantage of that. Don't let pride or embarrassment or what other people would think get in the way. It doesn't matter at all. Make Jesus the center of your life. Invite Him to come in and have the kind of relationship He wants to have with you. It's an amazing thing. Jesus, we love You this morning. Because You first loved us. Jesus, we ask that You would come into our lives in a fresh and living way. Touch our hearts today. Jesus, we want to know You better than we ever have before. Make these things real in our lives, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.